Welcome to Momentum Church. I'm looking forward to closing out our Problem People 101 series. And uh, man, how many's enjoyed this series? Yeah, 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 yeah. So today we're going to be looking at a topic, a subject, a people group that is easy to look out, but also we have to look in, and it's probably my least favorite of all these, these that we've preached on in the last month, because today we're going to be looking at allowing God's word to help us deal with the hypocritical people in our lives. Hypocritical. Y'all know any hypocrites? Yeah, hip, you have to say it that way too, hypocrite you hypocrite, right? And so every one of us knows someone that <laughs> says one thing and lives out another, you know? Uh, gives forth an appearance of one way, but deep on the inside, something else. And, and there's a disintegrous quality about it to where there's this side that is presented and then there's a side that maybe nobody ever sees, but that's really lived out. And so we're going to be looking at that, that, that this morning. Now, the thing about it, this morning, I really want to strike the balance between looking at others, right, hypocrites, to looking at ourselves, hypo, hypocrite. Can we be honest with ourselves? There's times where every one of us in this room, we struggle with being integrous, with what we desire to walk in and how we actually live. And sometimes those desires, I'm not talking to the ones in here today who I'm trying, Pastor. I'm wanting to change. I want to, I'm not talking to that person today. This isn't about heap upon us guilt and shame. Amen? Amen. But then there are others who I know what I need to walk in. I don't care. I'm going to live as I want to. To live, whether you call me a hypocrite or not, I'm going to live as I want to live. And, and so today we're going to be looking at how to handle hypocrisy in others in our lives, how we handle and confront hypocrisy, but we're also going to confront hypocrisy in our own lives, amen? How we manage and deal with those things in our own lives. And so I can remember um, all growing up in school, serving the Lord, early on telling people I'm going to be a preacher since I was probably about 10, 11 years old, I'm going to be a preacher and in uh, my senior year, I started falling away from Christ. And upon graduation, for whatever reason, literally that day forward, it was just as if I want to run from God. Problem was, my identity was wrapped up in the church. I, all I knew was the church. All the, I, I was, in a sense, in so many ways, a lot of the esteem I had as a kid came from the church. So I, I could just leave the church altogether, or I could learn to be a hypocrite. You know, I could run away from this community, or I could try to bridge that community, and that was my plan. You know, I played bass on Sunday. I started playing bass when I was about 12 years old. I actually started singing at about 10 in church, and that always brought accolades. Nice job, Ross Allen, you know. So I don't know if I was serving Jesus or the little aunties in church that said, Ross, nice job. And then at 12, started playing bass. At 16, started leading worship. And, and I would lead worship at times for different conferences my dad would be a part of. And, and man, I just, you know, a lot of pride in that. And I didn't want to give that up. But I couldn't keep doing that if I was living the way I was living. And people knew. And so I just kept it quiet. 
I began to go deeper and further into the things of the world at that time and running from, from God. And, and the truth of the matter is I'm not the only one in this room that's been there before. I want to kind of talk first, people, when we think hypocrites, people playing with faith. They're just playing with their faith. They, they, they have poor motives. And literally, sometimes we're the ones that are a bit hypocritical. And so as we go on today, if some of this hits you, receive it. Let God use this to touch your heart today, man, because God wants you whole. He wants you to have integrity. He doesn't want you to be um, divided. The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He wants you to have congruency in your life. And so with that, there's this challenge to, to walk and to challenge hypocrisy first in our own, in our own lives. Matthew 15, 7 through 8, man, Jesus, he brought this, right? Like, didn't Jesus know how to deal with stuff? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so when it came to hypocrisy, Jesus said this. He said, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That was me. I was honoring him with my lips on Sunday. But the rest of the week, I was struggling to walk after him, not because I was struggling and cared, because I was struggling and didn't care. That's the difference. Do not walk in condemnation in here today if you're striving. Amen? That, that's, that's a whole different ballgame. What I'm speaking of when we're dealing with hypocrisy is that idea that I know and I don't care. I have no desire to change you judge, all you're doing is just judging me. No, 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 we're looking at what the word says in our own lives and letting the word judge us. And if the word judges me and I say, I don't care, I'm gonna do whatever I want, there's a motive issue. There's an idolatry issue, amen? And it lends us toward hypocrisy. So hypocrisy, the idea of people who claim Christ, but their lives do not reflect the teachings of Christ. Every one of us has been around that before. And every one of us have heard people, really, to be honest, um, um, man, we've heard people use that as like an excuse. The church is just full of hypocrites. You know? We've heard that before. And so we're going to be looking at that here in a second, too, in regards to that. But before we go on, let me just dive in a little deeper. This is going to not feel comfortable, but a little deeper with the idea of our own personal hypocrisy. I remember years ago, I was counseling a couple in premarital counseling, and they were guests of a family in the church that had been with us for years, and they had started coming. And I began to meet with them because they were having relationship issues, and months goes by, um, a few months goes by, probably five sessions or so goes by, and during during that time, you know, I, I'm realizing that they believe they're believers. They, they, they would call themselves Christ followers for sure. But thing after thing after thing after thing, they knew how to walk after Christ, but they didn't care. And it was causing issues in the relationship in so many ways. I don't want to go down through a whole list. We probably shouldn't be partying at this level, but we don't care. Probably shouldn't be drinking at this level, but we don't care. Probably shouldn't be living together, but we don't care. And it's not about caring. It's about taking the word and saying, God, what does your word say? And I'm going to submit myself to your word. But they didn't care. And the fruit of that was starting to be evident all over the relationship. And after some time of relationship, I thought I could speak into them strongly with love. Amen? How many know I'm a lover? Amen. I am. 
And with the idea of compassion and with the idea of coming as a shepherd, it's my job to lead people closer to still waters, right? I'm supposed to represent Jesus and to lead people so they can have good pasture, so they can have abundant life. Not that I bring that, but my job as an under shepherd to the great shepherd is to help lead them to eat well of what God has, amen? And so this couple, finally, they were talking one day to me about some struggles that they have. And they say, we do find a lot of relief that when we come home, we can get a shower together and we can have a nice you know, bottle of wine together. And I'm not here to speak against drinking. That's not what I'm speaking against. But I'm saying that that idea, oh, they're living together, okay. And if everybody's here, we're all adults. We understand what I'm talking about, all right. So as we talked, I'm tying the issues that are having are issues tied to delayed gratification and not desiring to live in such a way that they'll walk in delayed gratification, that, that there's a better way, and if I'll line myself up here and make a decision now that's a difficult decision, I'll walk in something greater letter, later. And that affected every part of their lives. And so I began to just speak into it, and I said, you know, the Bible says that all things are beautiful in its time. I love that Solomon said that. And, and this is a beautiful thing. It's just not in the right timing. And, and the thing about it is, they were neck deep. We're believers. We've been believers since we were kids. We love Jesus. We want to follow Jesus, and so on and so on. And so with that, I said, can I challenge you guys? Yeah, sure, until you do. Yeah, sure, I'd love to have you challenges. I said, guys, I don't say this from a judgmenting standpoint, judgmental standpoint, but I said, do you realize in America, 40 to 45% of all first-time marriages end in divorce is the statistic. And the statistic I've read is that those who primarily cohabitate live together prior to marriage. That percentage goes over 80%. And if that's the case, I would not be a good pastor if I didn't challenge you guys to on this side of the altar, on this side, to make changes to prioritize God's word in your life and to make decisions that say you will watch out for the will of another over your own desires, your own will, and watch that build a strong base that God can build your relationship upon. Amen? I thought that was pretty loving. That's how I said it. (laughs) All of a sudden, you know what? My mom and dad are better Christians than you'll ever be. They probably are. And they love me and they don't have any problem with what we're doing. Okay, listen, my job as your pastor is not to love you. My job as your pastor is to lead you. And I'm going to lead out of a heart of love, but it's not my place to not speak of the tough stuff. And I care about you guys. And I want to see your percentage of divorce in the future go down. And well, I don't think this makes any, and I, I said, can I explain why? I said, marriage is a lifestyle of concession. That means when you go into a relationship with somebody for life, I watch out for the will of Amy first, and I concede my will, and I watch out for her will first. Not always, but I try. And she's to do the same in my life, that she concedes her will, and she watches out for my life first. And when we both do that, it creates a strong bond of mutual submission that is not easily broken. Amen? And this summer will be a bunch of years for us. I literally, I think, uh, I should have figured that out before I got up here. I think it's 29. Yeah, I think it's 29. That's a long time. That's a long time to put up with Ross Wiseman. Good Lord. Pray for my wife. Amen. She's a saint. (laughs) 
And so I said, that's what marriage is. And, 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 and that's actually what it means to be a Christ follower. We say, I want what I want, but I recognize what the word says. And because what the word says, I'm supposed to submit to God's will in my life. I'm going to train and discipline myself to say, flesh, stand down. Desire, stand down. What I want, stand down. And I'm going to walk after the word of God, even though my flesh, yeah, your flesh isn't comfortable with it. Why? Because your flesh is a thief and it'll try to steal and rob and destroy from you. Yeah, well, it'll lead you away from the desires that God has. It'll lead us into our own desires, pastor included. Amen. But I'm going to allow God's word to have preeminence, and I'm going to submit myself to his word, a greater will over my own. Man, you start living your life like that, it develops who you are in the deepest part of your being. If you don't, I told the couple, if you don't, basically after that honeymoon stage, five years, seven years, whenever the dopamine runs off, it does. That's another teaching for another day. That dopamine, it gets, literally, scientists have seen that by the seventh year of a marriage, the normal means of quick dopamine fix from that relationship is gone. Do you know why there's a seven-year itch? Because you need that spark. But you don't get that spark unless you go after the spark. And it doesn't just mean sexual and the easy parts of relationship. It's, it's the deeper, neat stuff. It's the deeper stuff that makes you strong. Amen? I don't have time to get teaching into that, but how many like dopamine in the house? Everybody's like, yeah, I love dopamine. God wants you to have it. He gave it to us. But uh, So I said, once that wears off, then you just go back to pleasing yourself. This is what I want. This is what I'm desiring. No, I don't care. You don't want me to go out with my friends? I'll go out with my friends anyhow. Why? Because you've trained yourself a long time ago, deep on the inside. Does that make sense? And so I, I challenged that. And, and uh, my mom and dad love me more. Well, I'm called to lead you. And um, all of a sudden, man, stands up, takes the clipboard, slams it on the ground. And I'm out of here and leaves. My heart just, oh, I'm just trying to help you. I was trying to confront. Like, this is five or six sessions slowly, slowly playing. Not trying to get really aggressive. Just trying to love and make a relationship and lead them somewhere as a shepherd and Slam, I'll never come back. And um, the people that invite him who had been with us for years, we're never coming back. We can't believe that you would judge our friend that way and we're not coming back. And okay, bye. I mean, I, I was polite. I don't know what to say. I just, I, I, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not trying to be mean. I just, I want what's best for him. I'd be a pretty horrible shepherd if I didn't speak from his word and bring challenge, Amen. And so that's what I was trying to do. And in that time, their motives to walk in what they wanted over, the, over what the word has for them, it was robbing them. And I saw it all around. And when I pointed out part of the issue is this idea of not saying, I will watch out for his will first over my own in all these different areas. Man, it was blowing their marriage and the relationship, not their marriage, but the relationship up. And so with that, um, that's one group of people that know what to do, but just choose I'm not going to do it anyhow. I get that. I get that. It's hard, but we have people that that's the case. And there's people who are here today, and every one of us at times have probably felt that way in different areas. I, I, I want this, God. I'm going to do this. I don't care what you feel, what you think, what your word says. Then there are people who, when it comes to this word hypocrisy, people who stay out of church because of hypocrites. How many's heard that? I ain't going to church because there's all those hypocrites. How many's heard that? Right? Or maybe they have the fear of being hypocritical. 
I think this is an argument the enemy uses on both fronts. I ain't going because all them hypocrites, or I'm not going because I'm not good enough. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. Man, my heart breaks for people like that, because guess what? We all aren't good enough at times. We all struggle at times. And the truth of the matter is, the ones that say, I'm not going because there's all those hypocrites, I want to look at them and say, well, come on in. One more won't hurt. <laughs> right? Because guess what? None of us, we're all works in progress in here, amen? Every one of us. Every one of us. And so I don't want you leaving this place feeling that condemnation, but I want you to check yourself as you look at others in your life that we're going to learn how to confront hypocrisy. Check yourself also during today so that if there are things in our life that are hypocritical, God, judge me for those things and give me power to begin to walk in victory over those things. Yeah. Because there's good-hearted people at times that will not go to church because they just feel like they can't get it together, so why try? If that's you today, man, you're in the right place. There's nobody perfect in here. And if we've acted like hypocrites, I am sorry. Because we're not perfect, you know? My wife, she is not perfect. She in here? Okay. No, none of us are. <clears throat> so, hypocrite, what does it mean? In the Greek, hypokritos, it just means an actor. It was a, a word that was used for Greek drama. And it was used to describe an actor. It was a stage player. It was one who would hide behind a mask while performing. That's what I was doing all, every Sunday morning during that season. It's somebody we would define as a hypocrite, but that's where it comes from, used in drama. And, and it came from the idea of being two-faced, you know, you're one person off stage, you're one person on stage. You are a hypocrite. Um, oh, I just can't even say it. Hypocrites. You are a hypocrite. One person on, one person off. You say one thing, but you do another. You believe one thing, but you practice another. That's being a hypocrite. I like to call it the butt on Sundays. Everybody say the butt on Sundays. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, I'll, I'll explain it. The gossiper who dishes the best juice in the office but on Sundays, declares the glory of the Lord in worship with that same tongue that tore that person up at the water cooler. Amen? Y'all got to help me with this, all right? I'll preach really long if you don't help me. The man who consistently says cutting words to his wife and his kids, yes, he all did good on that. But on Sundays, encourages everyone he's around. He's at church. Oh, don't you look good. Glory to God. Oh, I hope you had a wonderful day. God bless. Oh, I, I see this in you. See. But all week long, man, just tore his wife and kids up. No edification, no life giving. But as soon as he's around his guys, as soon as he's around church folk, glory to God, hallelujah, I'm blessed and highly favored. Amen? None of us have ever seen that before. And I will be honest, I do, I do love momentum because we have fostered an environment of openness. And I'll talk about that in a little bit where I feel like us struggling with sin, not wanting to be hypocrites. We, we struggle openly with each other and we find strength and victory. Amen? I do love that about this house. How about the, one, the ones who even though they know what the word says about how they should live, they refuse to submit to God's word 
there you go. But on Sundays, they take away from the day something for themselves, but they know they have no desire to change how the way they are living. That idea that I, I don't care all week long how I'm living, but I got to get to church because I got to sing my favorite worship song because when I sing my favorite worship song, I'm going to get what I need. I don't care about changing my life, but I want to feel the feels. I, want, I might even dance a little. I want to feel the feel. I want to get, I'm going to get my shout on. Oh, that was good. I like what that pastor said. I'm going to receive that. Okay. You get what you need, but then there's not life, life change after. Like, I'm not, I don't care about changing. I just need to get my spiritual fix on Sunday that doesn't affect me on Monday through Saturday. That's scary. That's scary. And so how do we deal with hypocrites? Well, how did Jesus handle hypocrisy? Let's, he's a great one to look at. Let's look. Matthew 23, verse 23 through 24. Here's how he started off by handling hypocrisy. He said, you hypocrites. That's heavy. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That idea, you're giving a tithe, but when it comes to justice, doing right by people, when it comes to mercy, showing the character and the heart of God in situations, when it comes to faithfulness, being true to the commitments that you have financially, being true to the commitments that you have relationally, when it comes to those things, you are missing it. He said, you should have practiced the latter. In other words, justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the former. Like, it doesn't, it's not that that's not important, the tithe. But he says, you should have not neglected those things of the latter. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. This thing, this, this big thing that you should be focusing on, you're struggling to focus on, and you're focusing on this little smaller thing. And you're saying this is a big deal and back and forth, vice versa. And so there's two things that we can learn from Jesus in this passage. The first is Jesus confronted hypocrisy. We see that. You hypocrites, he says. What I love how Jesus dealt with people is that Jesus, man, when it was somebody struggling in sin, like the woman caught in adultery, you know, when it was somebody like that, man, he showed such grace and tenderness. If you're here and you're struggling with sin, that's not, you're not a hypocrite. You're a human. Every one of us is struggles, amen? God can give you victory. Yes, he can. That's not hypocrisy. But then when it would be somebody who is making a front of who they are, like the Pharisees were, saying one thing, look at all this tithe, all the gifts that we're giving to the temple, a tenth of everything we have. Jesus, man, he ain't playing. He ain't having it. Oh, you think that's important, but you don't treat people right. You think that's important, but you don't walk in justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And that's what Jesus was challenging. He was challenging, and he does it so beautifully. And as a church, we always want to be a church that does that. You know, the idea that, that we're a redeeming community, Okay, everybody coming through the doors, we're going to treat with value and honor because we know people coming through, man, they may be as lost as can be. They've never walked after God. They're just starting out. We're going to treat everybody with love. We say, come as you are, but we're also a sanctifying community. So over time, we look for opportunities to speak a challenging word into lives because we want you to come as you are, but we don't want you to stay as you came. And that's how Jesus was. So he would look at the one that should be changing like those Pharisees and he would look at them strong. He would say, you hypocrite, 
I love it. One of his things he said one time, you brood of vipers, you snakes. He was strong. But then those that were struggling in sin, he was beautifully compassionate and he understands. So please understand where pastor's coming from when it comes to this. And so Jesus, he confronted hypocrisy, but he confronted it in a way that was dealing with the ones who did not care, the calculated ones, the ones I will do this and you'll never tell me how to live or change. Jesus was strong with those, amen? Second thing, what Jesus did, he majored on the majors. He majored on the majors. So Christians often zero in on the things that don't really matter. Uh, Not that the tithe doesn't matter, but Christians will zero in on that and do this. They'll say, look, I do this, this, and this, and that's what's important, but then I neglect this, this, and this, but I make excuses for the things I do do. And you have to be sure that we're majoring on the majors, that we're getting the right things right. I'm glad. If you're a tither, I am so thankful you give. Amen? Keep giving. Give that 10%. Praise the Lord. But if you're a tither and you're ugly to your wife, man, the focus, but I give all this to God. Stop being ugly to your wife. Hypocrite, right? That's what Jesus, I'm just just saying what Jesus is saying. But we can major on the small thing, and look what I'm doing. But no, we gotta get the right things right. And here's the problem with that. When we're trying to get the right things right, if we're not, if we're using lesser things to make us feel right, then we are being self-righteous, all right? Let me say it again, if we're using lesser things, to help us make us feel right, then we're just being self-righteous. In other words, I don't do this, 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 or this, and so I'm fine, I'm righteous. But God's saying, yeah, but I want you to change this. Well, I don't want to listen to you, God, on that. God, look what all I do over here. And if you remember that scripture, and I think it's in Matthew, where God, I cast out demons in your name. I did all these things in your name. And he said, depart from me, you're a worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Ooh, that's heavy. That idea of departing, you're a worker. Think about a worker. How many here has accidentally went to work? Oops, was supposed to be on the beach today, but I'm swinging a hammer. What happened? Not one of you. You purposefully go to work. And when you go to work, you're a worker, right? You're, it's a very purposeful thing. But the thing about this, he says that, that, that I don't know you because you're a worker of iniquity. In other words, you're not just struggling and stumbling. You're making a choice to say, I am going to walk in iniquity right now. Those things I know I'm not supposed to walk in, I don't care. And I'm going to practice. I'm going to work according to those things. And so that's kind of what, 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 what Jesus is hitting on here. And, um, and the scary thing about that is we can give ourselves that list in our lives that makes us feel righteous and, 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 and look down our nose at everybody else. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But look down our nose at everybody else, but I'm okay because of this. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll get to it. So how should we confront hypocrisy when it comes to dealing with hypocrisy in other people's lives? Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Let's look at that scripture. Galatians 6, 1 through 2. It says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens in this way. You will fulfill the law of Christ. 
All right? So the first way that we deal with hypocrisy in another person, um, number one, we confront with caution. Confront with caution. Galatians 6.1, that first part, or that second part, B, it says, restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. There is something about Christians, <laughs> all of us, that have... Christians get saved, after a while, if we're not careful, they'll become very vulnerable to pride. All right? They'll become vulnerable. And, and I used to do that, but I don't do that no more. But they forget the things that they're struggling with. But they can look at all the problems in other people's lives. Well, that ain't me anymore. But this is, And so we can confront people from a place of arrogance. We can confront people from a place that we haven't examined our own hearts first. No, no, we're supposed to have caution when we confront people about their sin. And you may say, Pastor, though, I didn't think we were supposed to confront people about sin. Shouldn't you judge? Don't judge unless, you're, unless you be judged. That is not what Scripture is saying. The Bible is full of judging the fruit of fellow believers, us judging each other, us holding each other accountable for growth. It's full of that, Okay. And so as Christians, if we're not careful, we can become vulnerable to pride. And when we go to confront somebody, go with a soft heart, knowing that, man, you could stumble too, you could fall too. There may be areas in your life that you're weak too. It may be a, a way to identify with a person, to connect. Hey, I'm struggling. I know you're struggling with this. I want to challenge you on this. You challenge me on this, you know? Maybe a way of just coming with a sense of caution and compassion when you're confronting somebody that you see is going down a path that's going to hurt them because they will not let the will of God become preeminent in their life. Number two, when you confront, confront with the goal of restoration. Restoration. How many here has restored a car before? Raise your hand. Anybody? Or a remodeler. Anybody's a builder, a remodeler? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, when it comes down to building and remodeling, remodeling and demolition are very different. If I know I'm just tearing something apart, man, I'll go out at it with a fierceness with no thought of what's going to be the end matter. All I care about is destroying it and getting away. That's it. But if I'm remodeling something, I've got to be careful in how that deconstruction takes place so that construction can happen again. That's what I'm talking about. Confront people with the goal of restoration. I would say when you confront people, I would think it needs to be people you have a relationship with. There are people who think they have the ministry of blessing people with a brick. And then everywhere they go, they're looking to point out and point out and point. I don't even know you. And you're telling me, who are you? I don't know what your life is like. So I do think part of that is caring enough about people that you care about to speak life and speak truth. But when you do, please come from a sense of, of restoration. Giving you an example of that, somebody might be struggling with lacking financial integrity in their lives. We as a church, we will help people. We bless people who can't do for themselves. We do not bless people who won't do for themselves. Those we confront in a loving way. We challenge. Not only do we challenge, we give them something that they can build upon. Let us sit with you. Let us work through some things with you. Let us help you learn how to do a budget and things like that. Amen? So that's what I'm saying, confronting with the sense of restoration, not just slamming them, but giving them a way to get better. Maybe they lack integrity in the daily decisions that they make. 
And so you're not just slamming them, but you're helping work with them or getting them involved with somebody that can help them make those better decisions. Lacking integrity in the things that they do or they say. And maybe you're holding them accountable to some of those things they do and they say. And you're working together to restore them. And that's coming from a place of relationship. And because you love them, you confront them. Not because you're upset with them. It comes out of a place of relationship. Galatians 6.1 says it this way. It starts with brothers. Brothers. That brothers is like, that's a relational term. Brothers. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. There's a sense of being gentle about confronting hypocrites. You're not putting people on blast. Amen? It's not happening. That confronting with the goal of restoration, it's the word restore in the Greek is kartartizo, um, um, and it's basically like, like to carterize, you know? And you're making a repair so fully that they stop bleeding out. I recognize you're bleeding out, and I want to help you. I want to make you new. I want to help. And so that's what we're doing. We're confronting with a goal of restoration. James 5, 19 through 20. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So we need to confront with a heart of restoration. And the final thing is we confront with a heart of commitment. We confront with commitment. Galatians 6, 2. We are to carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We're to carry. I love um, um, Leanne's word earlier today. As she was sharing, I think she even used the word carry. You know, that idea of carrying burdens or lifting up. It means to lift up, to sustain, to take up someone. You're not tearing somebody down when you're confronting them about hypocrisy. You come from a spirit of commitment that I'm here for you. I want to walk this out with you. I want to help strengthen you. I want you to help strengthen me. We're doing this together. We're going forward and growing in the things of God. We're not putting up with excuses from each other. We're challenging each other. Amen. You need some people in your life like that that will help drive the hypocrisy out of you. That you know they love you, but they're strong with you. That that accountability group isn't, yep, I suck this week. Yep, me too. Well, we both suck. See you next week. <laughs> That's not accountability. Okay? You love each other enough to challenge each other, but you're committed to each other too. Amen? Huh. Let me give you a couple stories as we get ready to close on how people help each other in their struggles. This commitment, I had a class that was a lot of unbelievers, and I loved this class, this one class I had. They were open with sin, okay? They just would say things that would leave my jaw on the floor. You know, I don't believe I would have told that, you know, kind of stuff. But not only were they open, it wasn't like, look how the things I've done. No, they were open, but they were hungry to grow. They were hungry to push each other beyond, you know? They saw that classroom, though, and I hope to people see our church like this, as an environment where people were real, not hypocrites, but real, and they could feel open about their struggles because they saw other people being open about their struggles. Not open and excusing, okay, but open and challenging. That's the difference. Being open and challenging with each other. Like, let's go somewhere for God. Let's change our lives. And in that class, there was a couple that had gotten saved, a married couple. Um, he was a crack dealer and his topless wife, you know. I mean, she wasn't topless all the time. I shouldn't call her a topless wife. His wife, who was a dancer, a top, you get what I'm trying to say. 
And they got saved, man, gloriously saved. Beautiful. Life is changing. And, and the crack dealer, I mean, he stopped selling crack. And he's like, Ross, I'm struggling financially because I'm used to making this money, and I'm not bringing in that money. And what do I do? And I'm like, let's get together. Let's sit. Let's talk. And so we got together, and there was three adults living in that home making money, and none of them made a lot, but together, it was a good, solid income, you know? And so I was able to sit, and I say, look, you don't have to go back to selling crack. Watch what we can do with these finances. And we begin to work with them with their budget, laying things out. And he's like, well, I don't know. We did that tithe thing. I don't know about 10%. Just watch. You're broke, right? What's 10% less? Just watch what God does. That's kingdom economics. But watch what God does. And, and everybody in here is laughing that, that are givers because you know how it works. I mean, God started taking care of that family. And he listened to that instruction and grew from that. And, and, and still was struggling, but growing. It was so neat. His wife, you know, same way with her. She was so hungry for God and to see life change. And, and, and I remember there was an older lady in the church that got her aside and was telling her, listen, when you dance before the Lord, try to dance more vertically. Not so much horizontally. Because, you know, her old ways, it's just the natural movements of her body. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. That, like, she didn't see it as some attack. She saw it as an older lady in the church loving her enough to help her, you know. And all the ushers in the church were very, very happy that changed. <laughs> it, it, it was something. But all I'm saying is that couple, they were just real with where they were, and people were real with them, and they grew, and they developed. It was beautiful. Pastor Brantley was mentoring a guy, and, um, and that guy was, again, talking about, I want to see my finances change, and so Brantley's like, you know what, we just believe in tithing. Today's not a tithing sermon. It's just an easy one to hit. And he said, we believe in tithing, and well, there's no way, budget-wise, I could ever tithe. And, and Brantley, like, Brantley says, hey, I can help you with your budget if you want to look at it. We'll work through it. And he's a young single guy, and the guy said, sure. So they're looking through it, and he goes, what's this category over here? And he goes, because that's like 10% of your income. And he goes, oh, that's my weed. <laughs> he was a pothead, but at least he had Excel. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he knew where that money was going, you know? <laughs> this is my weed. This is pizza. This is, no. And so Brantley's like, that's like 10% of your, what you make. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on him. And the guy goes, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm robbing God for my weed. And it just, his own mind just exploded. He's like, I'm going to change that. And he did. Is that cool? Wow. Amen? I love it. Didn't receive that as confrontation as far as judgment. Saw it as a challenge to grow to be more disciplined, to see God's favor start to show up in his life. And so I want you to confront those that you have relationship with, but not with judgment or condemnation, but with the love that carries, with the love that lifts, sustains, and takes up, not tears down. That's what my aunt did to my, to my life. She wasn't my real aunt, she was my church aunt. And that day, that Sunday morning, after falling from Christ and hiding it from everybody, Man, I was hiding. My, my mother didn't know. When I confessed all my sins to my mom and dad, my mother's like, oh, not my Ross Allen. There's no way. My dad's like, oh, I know you're doing all of this stuff. Dad knew, you know. But mother, you know how mamas are. 
But that morning at church, my church aunt, not my real aunt by blood, but she was my church aunt, Aunt Barb, she came to me and she confronted me with caution. All right? She said, Ross Allen, you know Aunt Barb loves you. That's how she started it. I wish somebody would have started that conversation with my cousin the same way. We buried Bart about a year and a half ago. Because when he was a teenager and started playing the devil's music, every deacon in the church ripped on Bart. Every person in the church that had leadership looked down their nose at Bart. And Bart left church, never to come back. But about a month before Bart died of a heart attack, playing a charity concert, went back to the hotel and, pat and died. About a month, he and I were on the phone and he was telling to me about how he had found Jesus and we talked about that. Still wasn't sure about the church yet because how I'd been treated. But my Aunt Barb, she confronted me with caution. You know Aunt Barb loves you. I know Aunt Barb. And then she confronted me with the goal of restoration. She said, you're not the young man that I've always known. You're not the same Ross Allen that you've always been. Oh, yeah, I am, Aunt Barb. No, no, no. She goes, you're chasing somebody that you're not, and you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to find who you once were. And man, it just haunted me. You're chasing somebody you're not. You're chasing after who you aren't. That's what it was. You're chasing somebody you're, you're not. You're, you're running from who you're not. You're chasing... Um, um, Oh, man, my brain is not working today. You get, you get what I'm trying to say. And you're going to spend your whole life trying to get back to where you once were. And it just haunted me. God has something better for you. She was explaining to me, God has a plan for you. God has a life for you. And you're running. And it wasn't condemning. It was just, it had a heart of restoration. I want you to walk back into what God has is best for you. And then finally, she confronted with commitment. She said, always know this, I am here for you. There was a sense of loving commitment. And uh, man, frankly, to be honest, every one of us in this room, we're all at times hypocrites. That means two-faced or divided in our minds. And that night, there in my bedroom, I decided to take the mask off. And I began to hear what my aunt said, and I began to repent before the Lord, and the power of God changed my life that night. And that was in the fall of 92, um, or 91. And in March of 92, I began to take steps toward being a minister at that point for the rest of my life. And so all I'm saying is, when you're confronting somebody, do it in those ways. Be cautious, be restorative, and have commitment. Don't just blast them, don't just knock them out of the water, because if we're honest at times, we're hypocrites too. And so I ask, what if we're the hypocrite as we close? The one script story I wanna look at as we close, 2 Samuel 12, David had failed, and Nathan, the spiritual leader of that moment, came to confront David. And what had happened, there was a rich man who had a bunch of sheep and cattle. And there was a poor man in town who had just one little lamb. That was it, one lamb. And that poor man loved that lamb, fed that lamb by hand. The Bible says he held that lamb. It lived in their home. And it said he treated that lamb almost like it was one of the daughters that he had. That's how much he loved it. And so the rich man had a traveler come into town, and the traveler was hungry, and the rich man did not want to kill one of his many lambs and cattle, and so he went and got that poor man's lamb, and he killed that poor man's lamb. And so Nathan comes, and he begins to speak to David. In 2 Samuel 12, 4 through 7, David burned with anger against the man. 
This is like when Nathan told him what had happened. The king is mad. David's mad. He burns in anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, check this, don't miss it. He looked at him and he said, you are that man. In, in Hebrew, it's ata-ish. Everybody say ata-ish. 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 I, I just think that's, to have that in your head ever so often, when you're ready to judge somebody else, you're ready to point the finger, you're ready to, ata-ish, like I'm the man. There's things in my life that I play the hypocrite at times. There's things in my life that need to change. Ata-ish. He says, you're the man. He said, God gave you a kingdom. God gave you victory. God gave you Saul's houses. God gave you wives. God gave you all these things. But it wasn't enough. And you went and took Bathsheba. And it wasn't enough. You went and had Bathsheba's husband killed. It wasn't enough. And Nathan just goes one after another. How dare you look at this speck in this other man's eye? When you got this plank, David, that you got to deal with. How dare you look at the hypocrisy in the rich man? When you're living two-sided and you're not seeing the truth of this matter, and he challenges them. Now, what's so beautiful, there are times that we need to be confronted. What's so beautiful is how God confronts us. It's your day today to repent and to find strength to change. If there's things that you've held at distance from God, God, I know I shouldn't, but I don't care. I'm going to do and continue to live the way I want to live. I don't care. And you may even foolishly blame that on God's grace. Well, but God, your grace is fine. It doesn't matter. I don't have to change any of this stuff. Hmm. I don't think that's what the scripture says. I'm not talking about you live in a way that you're going to go to hell. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying when God puts his thumb on things in our life, and we say we don't care and we go on and just do as we want to anyhow with no trying to grow or develop or change. Man, we can't point at others if that's the case in our own life. We got, we got to deal with stuff in our hearts. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, man, if we are going to call ourselves Christ followers, it's time we begin to live like it. And the Holy Spirit will help us. If there is sin in our lives that need to be dealt with, let's, let's let God deal with it today in our lives. I got three areas I want to pray us out. The first is if there's somebody in your life right now that needs to be confronted, I want to pray right now that you would be able to confront them in a way that is powerful, that God can use. And so if you would, just whoever that is, put that person in your heart right now as we pray. Just think about that person. Jesus, right now, I ask for those that are here, that family member, that friend, that that person that's in their small group, whoever it is, Would you allow them when they confront to confront with caution? With a heart of humility. Lord, would you allow them, Lord, as they confront to to be able to cast vision for restoration, to to be able to confront with the goal of, of restoring, not tearing down, I pray. Lord God, would that person receiving that confrontation As they receive it, would they be able to receive it in such a way that they know their friend is committed to them, their family member is committed as they confront them, committed to help them walk out and live the life that God's called them to live? Look up this way. If if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want to begin that relationship with Jesus, man, there's not one thing you can do to get saved other than to ask him to come save your life. 
And if that's you or if you're online, just reach out today to him and ask him to come into your life and begin a relationship with him. And in doing that and making him Lord of your life, we will be here to help you in those next steps of growth. So as you make that decision today, we have a book that we want to put into your hands, Seven Days with Jesus, just your first seven days walking out this amazing life with him. And we want to get that to you free. So just let us know as you come to follow Jesus, we will take those steps to help disciple and help you grow. And then the final thing, this is the, the last one, the last thing I want to look at in prayer. I am the one who needs to change. Like you are like, yeah, Ross, I, I'm the one. There's things I need to submit to God. I'm done with living a divided mind. I'm done with living a double life. I'm done with it. What's powerful about David, if you look at Psalm 51, it's his whole prayer of repentance. But in verse 10, he says this. This is Nathan. Nathan has confronted him. And the the theologians have said that this Psalm 51 is his response to Nathan's confrontation. And he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. David says, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I love that last part. Uphold me with a willing spirit. That that means God desires to uphold you. When you come with repentance and brokenness, he will not cast you away. He's coming with a, some translations will say, a generous heart. He has generosity to you. He has a willingness to you to help you. And David reaches out to him, just like I did that night in my bedroom when I got serious about being a Christ follower. And that night, the generous spirit of the Lord began to work in my heart. And guess what? All these years later, he's still working on my heart. There's still areas that need perfected. There's still things I don't want to make excuses for. I just want us as a church to be a place that's real. Amen? open with our struggles, not making excuses for them, challenging, spurning each other on. I want us to be that kind of people. And on the other side, I want us to be the kind of people that, 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 that create an environment for others to feel loved and challenged. We want you to come as you are, but we don't want you to stay as you came. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.